you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Good morning, and I just want to wish you again a very happy, blessed 2023. Some of you I'm seeing you for the first time, and it's such a joy to be gathering again in the new year, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's the grace of God. Let's not take it for granted. Even the very breath of life that we have, God has so graciously given to us. We are so privileged. We are blessed people. Now, for the month of January, we'll be addressing the issues pertaining to the local church. So we will resume the study on the Gospel of John in the month of February. The study of the nature and the mission of the church is called ecclesiology. So what aspects of the church are essential to its being? Or what aspects of the church are intended for its well-being. In the series, we are going to cover a few selected topics over the next four weeks. So today we are going to look at the local church and why it's important, the local church. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at the importance of the ordinance. We already looked at baptism. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper, what that really means, and why do we partake in the Lord's Supper. And the following Sunday, the third Sunday, we'll be looking at the membership of the local church. What does it really really mean to be a member of the local church? And the last Sunday, we are going to look at what are the markers of the local church, the identifying markers of the local church. So I would say that it's more, I would say, a mix of teaching and preaching. So, But in every aspect of this, you will find that there is a response warranted by every believer. So my suggestion is that, I don't want to put a guilt trip on you, but if you have your notes to take down notes, you may pull out the notepad and you can start to write, or you can mark in your Bibles as we go through, but pay close attention to the message. Now if you are to ask somebody outside, what is a church? They will tell you, that's the building at the South Service Road and Common Drive, the corner of that. Or someone else might say it's the old cathedral next to the metro in Meadowell. I I actually went into the dictionary to see what the dictionary might say about a church, and this is what it says, the Webster's Dictionary, a building for public Christian worship. A building for public Christian worship. That's how they see the church is. But we all know that the church is not a building, but rather the people who meet in the building. The building may look like a typical church with a steeple and a cross, or it may be an industrial building remodeled into an auditorium and classrooms, But we should understand in many countries, churches meet in houses, as the early church did. So we know that buildings are not the church, rather it's the people who are the church. The people are the church. But even if you all agree that the church is the people, we need to clarify what the church really is, what it's supposed to be. Some might think the church is a, is a place where you go and meet nice people like Pastor Ronald and Pastor Dio. Wonderful people that you meet. Or you might think that this is a place where you can come and see some well-behaved children, like the children that we saw this morning. They may be a notch above those that we see in the local bus. So it's a nice social gathering. Or we might think that we go to church that... If I attend the church, God will help our lives go better. God will help in our businesses. God will help in our families, and He will bless it. Or some of us may be here because 
to make our wives or our husbands happy. Let me go there. Let there be peace in the house. Or you may be here because of your nagging parents. So what is a church? Let me give you a definition of a church and let's work from that. The church is the community or an assembly of all true believers for all time. The church is the community or an assembly of all true believers for all time. If you look into the Bible, we will see that the New Testament authors, speaking of the Old Testament people of Israel as a church, as a church. Example, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is what he heard from the Lord. See how he writes it. Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live upon the earth. So the term that you look at, the word gather, the Septuagint translates the word, and the Hebrew word is kahel, with the Greek term ecclesia. The Greek term is ecclesia, meaning to summon an assembly, an assembly. So that verb is equivalent to the new, uh, the empty noun ecclesia is church. That's what it is, it's church. We know that in the book of Acts, we all know the, the martyr Stephen, as he was stoned and as he was about to die. And this is what he said, he, he addressed the people of Israel as the congregation in the wilderness. Look at this passage. This is he referring to Moses who was in the congregation in the wilderness, referring to the people of Israel. So, church, so in the Old Testament, the people of Israel are called the assembly, ecclesia, or the church. But we need to make some observations about a biblical definition of the church. The word church in the New Testament never refers to a building or even a place. It always refers to a people. Either the total number of believers who have ever lived or a group of local believers. For example, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes this. And he says, uh, he says, God having raised Christ from the dead above all rule and authority, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So this is a universal church he's talking about. The whole number of the redeemed who look to Christ as their life and their authority. So in this sense, there could, be, there could never be such a thing as church, one church. There is only one church. You can't say there are so many churches. There's only one church. Based on this, he says, that's why even Paul writes, there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So first we saw that you have the universal church, one church. But in the New Testament, the word church is also used to refer to a group of believers in a particular city, in geographical location. Let me give you some examples. So in the book of Acts, we see it's addressed as a church in Jerusalem. So it's very specific to a particular geographical area. Then in the, in the first Corinthians 1-2, the church of God which is at Corinth. Now this is obviously different from the church in Jerusalem. And in 1 Thessalonians, it says, to the church of the Thessalonians. And then we see again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the churches of Asia greet you. So first we saw the universal church. Secondly, we saw a church in a particular geographical area. Thirdly, the term church is also used to refer to a group of believers who meet in a particular house. In a particular house. Let me give you some examples here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house. Can you see the progression here? You can see, I mean, it started with the universal church in the regional churches. Now they're going into the house churches. And in Colossians, 
is addressed to Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Then Paul writes to Philemon and he says, to the church in your house. So what do we take from all this? There seem to be three levels at which where the word church applies to God's people. First is the universal body of Christ, including all believers of all times, one church. Second, the local church, because of their geographical togetherness in a city, like the church in Mississauga, Kenmuir Baptist Church, Seekers Christian Fellowship. The third is the house church, it's a segment of believers who gather in a home, like one of the, one of the churches that we are supporting in our missions field. It's a home church. Now, having an understanding of what the church is, the question one would ask is, what is the purpose of this church? What does it do? So, what is the purpose of the church? There are three purposes for the church. Number one, the first purpose of the church is the ministry to God. Worship. Everybody say the word worship. Worship. Let me expand on that. Let me explain that to you. So the church's purpose is to worship God. Is to worship God. And we find that in, his, in Paul's epistle to the saints in Ephesus, he says, God has destined us, the believers, and appointed us to Christ to do something. Look, this is what we are expected to do as believers. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. All of us who trusted in Christ, the believers, should be to the praise of His glory. And Paul directs the church to do what? Look at the next verse here. To Colossians he writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And he ends up by saying, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That is what we are called to do. Worship God. And then Paul goes in and refines this in, his, in, his, uh, in the fifth chapter in the book of Ephesians. He tells this is what the saints in Ephesus should do. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And read the last part with me, please. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So if you are an authentic church, worship must be a key component of our assembly. It's very, that's why we worship the Lord on a Sunday, not because we want to sing some songs and feel good about it, because that is the purpose of the church. So my question to you is that have you been worshipping God? When you sing these songs along with the team that is leading us, are you just singing aloud to show your talents? But Paul says this, making melody in your heart, in your heart to the Lord. It must be the heart of worship. That is why people like me who can't sing, we can worship the Lord in the house of God. Because it is not the voice that the Lord is looking at. It is your heart. So the first purpose of the church is to worship Him. So as a body of believers, we should worship God when we come together. Second purpose is this, is to, it's a ministry to believers, to us. To nurture us, to cause us the growth. The church's purpose is to nurture and build believers into maturity in Christ. Paul says that the goal of the church is look at this in Colossians, he says, we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's our responsibility as a church the maturity of the believers. And how do you do that? Look at First New Testament church, what they did, as they devoted themselves, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Apostles' doctrine, apostles' teaching, 
and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's how you mature in Christ. In other words, church, for people to be built up or to become mature, there must be a proclamation of the word in the church. How many of you are spending time on the word daily? That's how you mature. You know, I want to tell you this. We take preaching very seriously. We do our due diligence. We are very faithful in expounding the word week after week. But you will only grow if you spend time on meditating on the word of God. I know that some of us make a New Year resolution. From this day forward, I'm going to be daily reading a passage of Scripture. I'm going to pray together. Eight days have passed today. Were you able to sustain what you have promised? If not, make a decision today. In order for you to grow, you have to eat food. Secondly, we must be a praying church to nurture, to make each other grow. How many of you, I'm looking at all of you, I'm not looking at any of these eyes, how many of you are attending a midweek prayer? Why? Why can't you attend? What is stopping you from attending a midweek prayer? What is that you are so busy about? I don't know. But that is what we are called to do as a church. Number three, we must be fellowshipping with each other. We have to be intentional in the after-service fellowship. Trust me, one of the reasons we encourage you to gather together is to build this component of the purpose why the church is together. To have this fellowship. Because we are one family. We are going to look at that in a moment. So the, the second purpose of the church is ministry to believers is to nurture. The third purpose of the church is to, to the world. Evangelism and mercy. There are two portions to this. The evangelistic work must be accomplished, accompanied by the ministry of mercy. They both go hand in hand, caring for the poor and the needy in the name of the Lord. The Lord commands us very clearly. He says in, 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 in Matthew chapter 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a command that has been given to us. Evangelizing is, not evangelizing is not an option for a church. We must be a church reaching out to people. And we don't need to go to the world because the world is around us here. We see people of all nationality, people of, of different religious background around us. There is a responsibility we have as a church. So not only evangelizing it, we have a responsibility to show mercy. Show mercy to them. In 1 John 3, we read this. He says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We are called as a church to show mercy. And I'm thankful to the church members because I know you, are, you have very generous hearts. But I'm going to encourage you that is the purpose of the church. So all these three purposes of the church are commanded by the Lord in the scriptures. All these three are important and none can be neglected. Strong church will have effective ministries in all these three areas. So beware of any attempt made to reduce the purpose of the church to only one of those. The church can't be just focusing on evangelism. The church must focus on all three. It can't be just focusing on worship and neglect the other. If you look at this picture here, this is, this is equally pulled in all three directions. For the church to be stable, all three must work with the same power and force. All three purposes of the church are equally important. Worshipping, nourishing and reaching out. This should be our pH test as we decide on an activity within the church. How is this activity that we are proposing to do in this church 
is going to enrich worship? How is it going to build up our members? How is it going to reach out to the lost? If it doesn't fit into any one of those categories, drop it. Don't do it. Because that is not why we are called to come together and, and have this church. Now that we know the purpose of the church, let's look at a few biblical metaphors of the church. Why do you want me to, why do I want you to look at them? Because each one of them, as we look at, calls for specific response from us, the believers who are members. So come along with me, please. I'm just going to look at seven of them very quickly. The church is called the body of Christ. Everybody say the word body of Christ. Now, Apostle Paul writes, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. It has two implications. Number one, the church is the organic living body of Christ. It means that every member must be alive spiritually. It's an organic. It must be alive spiritually. So how you ask is through the new birth. So you want to be a member of the church, you should have been born again. That's when you're alive. And you're alive spiritually. And secondly, as member of the one body, each member has got different function within, with different gifts. And how are you using your gifts for the overall good of the body? That's the first metaphor. The second metaphor that we see here is you are called the body of Christ. So I'm sorry, the bride of Christ. Can everybody say bride of Christ? What does that say to you? The church is the bride, the wife of the Lamb. As a bride relates to a husband, we are to relate to Christ in love. We are called to do that. We are to submit to the authority of Christ. We are to thrive in the knowledge that He loves us and He chose us to be His bride. Do you really love the Lord? Do you? That's the response that's been called. Number three, the church is called the family of God. Everybody say family of God. There's a lot said about this church. Paul says we are called the members of the household of God. So in a larger family, Paul talks about this very clearly. Here's the responsibilities. We are not to rebuke older men, but exhort them as your fathers. We should take care of older people in this church and, and treat younger men like brothers. Older women like mothers. Younger women like sisters in all purity. God is our heavenly father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now listen for a moment. Families gather for different reasons than the, the audiences in a public theater. In a public theater, there are people who gather together to watch a movie. And the moment the movie is over, the gathering is dispersed, isn't it? They leave. They go their own ways. We gather together, but we don't go our own ways. We take each person, each, each other with us. That's what we are called to do. Families get together for relationships. There's a common family bond. We don't threaten to go and join another family because of some conflicts. We are here to solve the, pro the problems by talking to each other and by seeking godly counsel. And that should happen within the family. It's a family of God. Number four. The church is called the temple of God. Everybody would say it's temple of God. So in one sense, the believer's body is an individual temple of God. In another sense, the entire church is God's temple. So what does it mean to you and I? We must show the reverential fear. Reverential fear in the things of God. In the way that you are coming into the sanctuary. In the way that you are behaving in the sanctuary. In the way that you are participating in the programs of the church. Imagine for a moment that you have been called to the Buckingham Palace 
I still remember I was new to Canada, and we were driving down, and we went to uh, Stratford. And they, they had this huge uh, theater, and they had this live performance. And here I am with my family. I'm on a shorts and, and flip-flops, just walking around. I thought, let me peep in to see what is happening in this building. So I went to open the door. I looked at I was like a fish out of water. Everybody nicely dressed, three-pool suit, and they're walking in, and, and ladies with all these hats. And I'm there like a clown. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know, church, there is a dress code, isn't it? It's not demanded, but it's commanded. Same in the temple of God. There is a behavior code that is commanded. Reverential fear. Number five, the church is called the flock of God. Everybody say flock of God. You know, when Paul talks about it, he said... <clears throat> Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. And he says, and another, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. So this means the church belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to a pastor or an elder, but the church leaders are the shepherds. We are the stewards responsible to the Lord to care for the flock. So let me ask you a question. Do you go after the lost sheep? Do you? Think about it, church. Better asked, are you burdened for the lost sheep? Have you noticed someone absent from the church today? And would you follow up with that person? Or you go the merry way. I've been to church. I put my tithing. I heard the sermon, I tolerated everything, I'm going home. We are called the flock of God. There comes a responsibility to take care of each other. Because the sheep will behave like sheep. And we have a responsibility to build them up in the Lord. Sixthly, the church is called the pillar and support of the truth. The pillar and support of the truth. So in other words... The church must stand firm in the truth of God's word in proclaiming and practicing the truth. So what is your responsibility? Your responsibility should be like the Berians. You don't accept just because somebody's standing in the pulpit and talking to you. You have to examine to see whether that makes sense. You've got to work through the passage You've got to understand the passage and you should apply it in your own lives. That is what you are called to do. Number seven and the last is that the church is the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. So Apostle Paul again says so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So as kingdom people, we need to live on earth to do the Father's will by living according to His life and nature of the kingdom of heaven. So we have to live with eternity in mind. Now, eternity perspective, if you are living church, it keeps us from chasing empty dreams and material gratification. When your eyes are focused on the Lord, trust me, my wife and I, we talk about that quite a bit. And I mentioned to somebody this morning as well, there was a time in my life, when I was in the professional world, my eyes were focused while on the Lord, I want to be very careful how I make a statement, but also on the corporate ladder. How do I move from A to B, B to C, C to D, and move up? But now that I am, we are empty nest, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a different profession right now, number one, the greatest joy that I have the joy is unspeakable now compared to what I experienced before. When you're on the peak in your professional career and as a shepherd of the Lord, it's night and day. I'm telling you because I've been on both sides. The joy, the satisfaction. And you come to a point where emptiness, my wife and I talk about this quite often. 
everything that we thought at one time meant something, means nothing in light of eternity. Means nothing. So I want to tell you and the younger people, I'm not telling you not to aspire to rise up in your profession. Please do that. But may your focus be on the kingdom of God. On the kingdom of God. Live with eternity perspective from that point of view. If you live from eternity perspective, your involvement in the church will be from your heart. It will be different. You will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. So the question I want to ask, you, you might ask me, Pastor, this is neat and dandy. I loved it. It's nice. But what does that really mean to me? How does it impact me personally? My response is this, church. I want to ask you a personal question based on all that you have heard about the purpose and the different metaphors of the church. Do you belong to this church? Do you really belong to this church? You will say, Pastor, you must be joking. Can't you see me seated right in front of you? My hand says, yes, I can see you. Then you ask, why do you ask whether I belong to this church? You know what my answer is? I don't know whether you belong to this church. I know some of you don't like the answer. But that is the truth. That is the truth. So that leads me to the vital point of the sermon. There are only two types of churches. There are only two types that each one seated here belong to. I'm not referring to the different denominations. These two types are called, one is called the visible church, and the other one is called the invisible church. Only two types. The visible church, everybody say visible church, and the invisible church. So my question is that which type do you fit in? The visible church is the expression of Christianity that people can see. This is comprised of all who claim the name of Christians. So we are a visible church for sure. All of us here and those who are watching online, we belong to the visible church. Everybody can see us being present on a Sunday morning. The gathering and practices of the individuals in various church buildings on Sundays, they belong to the visible church. Every one of us. And the visible church will always include some unbelievers. For no one can see their hearts. But God sees them. The invisible church is a church that as God sees it. Picture yourself. You are seeing me standing here. I want you to picture... God standing right here looking at you. I can see the visible church. I can do a head count and say so many people are here in, this, in the church. When the Lord looks at all of you and including myself, would the Lord come up with the same count? I know he's not weak in math because he taught me math. Will he come up with the same count, head count? Paul says very clearly, the Lord knows those who are His. Scary, isn't it? Scary. Let me give you an example of a visible church member. How many of you know the name Demas in the New Testament? He was a good buddy of Apostle Paul. And as you read through that, you see that he was a fellow worker in the gospel of ministry. He was along with Mark, Luke, and others. If Paul had chosen Demas, obviously Demas must have demonstrated some good characteristics, isn't it? He might have spoken the right words. He must have dressed nicely the way that Paul expected him to dress or behaved nicely. And Paul would have thought that he has a good, great guy. Come along with me. Let's go for the ministry. But later we see that Demas left Rome because he fell in love with the world. 
In other words, Demas chose the corrupt value system of the unsaved world over what heaven values. But here's the scary part. Paul could never have guessed it. When he brought Demas on board, he would never have guessed. But this is what Demas would do. But the Lord would have known. The Lord knew him. The tragedy of Demas is still being lived out today, church, by those who choose the temporary benefits of this world over the eternal riches of heaven. Today, there are those who seem to receive the word, those who attend the church, those who get baptized, and those who profess their faith. But then the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And Apostle John writes very clearly. Look at this passage, and this is scary for me. I hope it's, it'll do the same to you. They went from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You know, as you look at this passage, it's very clear there was some point in Apostle John's mind or his view, they were part of the group. They belonged to us. Boom, all of us. And then he says, they went from us because they are not of us. Scary, isn't it? Scary passage. In other words, they were only visible, they were part of the visible church. Not the invisible church that the Lord only could have seen. Jesus gave a very great parable, the parable that you heard being read earlier. In that Matthew passage, he speaks of two groups, the parable of the wheat and the tares, or wheat and the weeds. He tells us how God would deal with those who belong to the visible and the invisible church. If you have not heard everything I said so far, I want you to pay attention to this one. This is very important. It's scary, it's frightening. I really hope that this would open our hearts and minds today. Let me give you an abstract of the parable. A man sows good seed in his field. His servants are perplexed when, they f when the field turns out to have weeds in it as well as wheat. So when they came, they saw there's wheat, there's weeds. So the servant said, no matter, we, we thought you only sowed wheat. What's with all these weeds? So the master says, an enemy has done this. So the servant asks a question. Let me help you, master. So what do you, what do you like us to do? Shall we go and uproot all the weeds? I can do it. Let me go and plug it out. And here's the master's response. No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Scary. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles and, and to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. What is the master saying here, church? He is saying, don't do that now. Let the visible and the invisible church members be together. Let's not weed them out. If you do that, you might accidentally root the good stuff. If the Lord is to send somebody to remove the people who do not belong to the invisible church, the Lord is saying, accidentally, Maybe a true member may be removed from this church. Let them both grow. Let them go through the motions. Let them have their, starting with the watch night service, go through the Easter programs, and let them go through the summer camps and summer studies, and let them go through the winter programs, and back to Christmas, and 
Let it go on and on and on. Let them grow together. I will separate them once and for all when the time comes for the harvest. Scary, isn't it? The thing about wheat and the weeds is that it's not always easy to spot the difference between a weed and the prize-winning flower. Some of the most destructive weeds look beautiful. They look beautiful. I know, I, I, you know I'm not good in this gardening and I don't understand flowers. Trust me, I can't see the difference. But one day I remember... I saw something beautiful and I told my wife, I'm going to bring this home and plant it. She's a botanist. I'm talking to the wrong person. She said, this remains here, it's not coming home. I said, it's beautiful. She said, it's weeds. How do I know? It looks beautiful. For me, I was looking at the visible church. It's beautiful. It can worship well, it can dance well, it can sing well. Let's take it. So the weeds merely grow well with, with the weeds singing hallelujah. Not knowing that they would not only be eliminated, but will be separated and burned up. You really need an expert gardener to know the difference, church. That is why it's called the invisible church. Invisible church. So the person seated next, next to you on a Sunday, now please don't look at the person seated next to you, you can't tell for sure that he or she is a Christian. Don't look at your wife's please. It's invisible to me. You can't say that they are true Christians. But the Lord can. I am delighted to take everyone at their face value. Because I can't really see their hearts. Because that's invisible to me. But it is visible to the Lord. That's why even in the communion, as I serve communion, I only give you the warning. And I tell you, do not partake if you are not right with God. But when I go around and give, if you have your hands out, I'm going to give to you because I'm looking at the visible church. Who am I to judge you? But the Lord can see it. Are you with me? Isn't it scary? So why is this a useful distinction to make? Well, it's a sobering reminder that as Jesus himself said, not everyone who calls, the Lord, calls Jesus Lord will in the final analysis be counted as one of his disciples. How about you? Are you among the weeds or the wheat? In Matthew 7, verse 22 to 23, I think there's another most frightening verses that we see and, and I want to bring it up here. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus presents the two types of people here who will come on that day, so both are coming on that day, meaning the last day, the day of judgment, a great day fixed for God and, un and un unknown to us, we shall be a terrible to some, joyful to others. Wow. It will be terrible to some, but joyful to others. It's like you are going to the doctors and, and two of you are going there and you are going to ask for the results and the doctor said, mm, great news, your blood works came, everything is fine, you are doing well. And the other person, doctor says, no. Terminal illness. You have got one day to live. But when you went in, you didn't have any symptoms. You don't know what it is. You know, the sad part is all will be seeking to enter the kingdom of God. If I ask all of you here, including myself, we'll say we all want to be in the kingdom of God. But some will be turned away. Hear me out, church. We'll react in an utter confusion and disappointment on that day 
because we thought that our, we had the ticket to heaven, turns out to be worthless. I was doing all that the wheat was doing. I tell myself, I came, went to church, I, I sang hallelujah, I stood up, I tithed, I, I, I listened to the sermon. How come I am weeded out? That will be a frightening revelation. So who are these people? These are the people who prophesied in the name of Jesus. Their works were done for their own glory, not for His. I want you to picture this. If the Lord tells you what you did was like filthy rags, how do you feel it? You know, I was preparing the way I was thinking about, I know that we had an excellent Easter program, isn't it? And then, oh sorry, Christmas program. When everything is done, let's say I go, I can, I can pick up on Keith, so I go to Keith and I say, son, what you did was filthy rags. Imagine that. Keith is saying, Pastor, you don't know the number of hours I've spent on this. Bringing these sheep together to make it work. But I'm telling you, Keith, this is filthy rags. Because the scripture is very clear, and, and I thank my brother Darrell to have mentioned this earlier during pre-service. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Only if you are obedient to the will of God. Because if you belong to the invisible church, you will be obedient to the will of God. See, others were never part of the elect group. But the sad part is you didn't know that. Not everyone in the visible church, those who go to church, take part in the worship, even preach from the pulpit, is a believer in the sight of God. According to Jesus, there are many people in the church who believe they are Christians and they are quite wrong. We should examine ourselves as the Apostle Paul says, that we are in the faith. You know, one of the signs that we are in the faith is that we hear His word and we obey. That's what, I, that's what you see from this passage. If you are not obeying the word of God, then you, are, you don't belong to the invisible church. So you ask, Pastor, then how do we know for sure that we belong to the invisible church? Well, you have given me enough frightening things today but please tell me a solution for that. I want to take you to the future. Come with me, please. There's a beautiful vision of heaven is drawn in the text in the book of Revelation. I just want to read this to you. Please pay attention. After these things, uh, Apostle John writes this, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with the white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped him, worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? Where did these people come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know this. You know the answer. And this is what he said. I want you to focus on this. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
I'm not doing an exposition on this passage today, this, this morning. My purpose is to lead you to that passage where who have been there, seen in the new Jerusalem. I want us to focus on this second part, those, these people who came out of the great tribulation were the ones who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the members of the invisible church. Only those who are washed by the blood of the Lamb. Are you one of them? You will know it. If, you are an, if there is an iota of doubt, whether you belong to an invisible church or not, I want to tell you that you do not belong to the invisible church. If you ever have a doubt that he is my father, then forget about going to the kingdom of God. If you have committed your life to the Lord, if you have accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have been washed by the blood, yes, you are a child of God. If you have accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that's my question to you today. So as I bring this message to the close, I want all of you to rise, those who are able, please. Those who don't, you don't have to rise. If you can, please stand. I know we are here on the very first day of the new year, very first or the first Sunday that we are meeting together. If you have not committed your life to the Lord, if there is an iota of doubt in your mind, do I really belong to the invisible church? May this be the day that you commit. I'm going to ask us the altar is open here and I would like you to just step forward, those who are able and we are going to just pray on the very first Sunday God, the cry of our heart is that we want to belong to the invisible church yes we have fallen yes we have done things that have been not right but we want to be washed. We want to be made new. We want to be seen in the new Jerusalem. How many of you like to be seen in the new Jerusalem? Slip your hands up. All of you, isn't it? Can we make that commitment today, please? Can I ask you all if you can? Please leave from where you are. Just come and gather in the, in the front and, and we are going to pray. Let's sing this uh, hymn together and while the song is being sung, please come forward. And we'll pray as a group. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power?